Hi, I'm Angela Ardolino and welcome to Your Natural Dog, my podcast featuring in-depth conversation with the world's leading holistic veterinarians and pet care pros. Join us every week as we reveal natural alternatives to the outdated, one-size-fits-all pet care model we're used to. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. The only way we can get our message out to pet parents all over the world is with your support. Stop barking! I'm trying to record a podcast! Hey everybody, it's Your Natural Dog with Angela Ardolino, and my guest today is Dr. Ian Billinghurst, and he has been a vet, oh my gosh, practicing for over 20 years, and he is the father of the raw movement and of the barf diet, which I'm sure you've heard about. But today we're going to talk about bones and fermented veggies and why the heck this whole pet food industry is such a mess and how to simplify it and make it easier for us pet parents. So stay tuned. It's coming up next. Hey, everyone. We're back with Dr. Ian Billinghurst, the father of raw. Thank you so much for being with me today. I have so many questions for you, and I love it because, of course, I know so much about raw and raw feeding, and I feed all of my dogs raw, and I feed them an appropriate diet, a biologically appropriate diet. But I just heard you say something that spoke to me so well, and you got on YouTube and talked about it, and that is, I feel I've been feeding my dogs the right way for at least eight, nine years now, maybe 10. And I feel like it has gotten more complicated and more confusing than when I first learned how to feed my dogs. And I mean, before, of course, I did it the easy way, which is I found a brand that I trusted you know, vetted them, found it, found it. And then that brand changed. Something, the per, the people who made the food, the people who oversaw to make sure that it was great, they were all gone. So the whole company changed and I could no longer feed this food anymore. And there I was starting over again. And it's so complicated and it shouldn't be. <laughs> I love that you say it is absurdly simple. To feed that our damn is my dogs. mantra, Angela. That's my <laughs> mantra. It is absurdly simple. Well, I, I guess bra- brain surgery is absurdly simple if you know how. Um, <laughs> I guess. I don't know how. Most of us have figured out how to feed ourselves. So why the hell is it so hard to figure out how to feed my damn dog? But have we figured out how to feed ourselves? I mean, perhaps we've figured out how to feed ourselves very badly. It's called the Western diet. And we've mimicked that with our dog today, and it's called processed pet food, which is also the uh, canine equivalent and feline equivalent, of course, of the human Western diet. But feeding according to evolutionary principles is absurdly simple. What you have to remember is you are feeding food which contains nutrients, I know, but you are not feeding nutrients. Well, you are feeding nutrients, but that's not where your concentration is. Your concentration is on the food that these animals should be eating, not on trying to provide very specific nutrients as advocated by AFCO or FEDIAF or NRC or some guru on the internet. My job has always been to take myself out of the equation so that I make the person who is feeding their dog the expert, because you are the expert. You don't and we appreciate this. Else. I 
Right. And I appreciate you teaching us this. And you're right. I'm not sure exactly what I should eat, but I know what I'm not supposed to eat. And I know what makes me sick. And I know what what processed foods are and GMOs and all of that. So I know better. But you have to learn that with your dog also, because just like you said, it's mimicking what we're doing to our diet. Do it. They're making it just as convenient and awful for our dogs. They sure are. And I've seen this right from the word go. When I was a young man, I knew nothing about anything, as young, as young people don't, but thought I knew it all, as young people do. Now I know I don't know anything and <laughs> there's so much more to learn. But what I do know is that if we follow some very simple rules, no, not rules, principles, Principles, not rules. Rules are rules are made for people who don't understand anything. This this is a game of understanding. It's a game of following principles. So way back then, I went out, and, and please forgive me, I was only twenty two, and a child of my generation, and I had a gun and I shot rabbits. I, I was trying to shoot kangaroos, but they were. I missed this rather large target. For some reason, the rabbits were very close. We fed these to ourselves. We didn't have a lot of money back then. I I was a young man, newly married, not earning a lot of money, and we fed the rabbits. We went to the butchers, bought butcher scraps. We we were raising kids at the time, and God help those poor kids. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, Youthful people grazing kids. The only people who should do it. They've got the energy, but all, all without any sort of guidebook. But anyway... We were shooting rabbits, we were feeding butcher scraps, we were feeding the leftovers from the kids' food, and our animals were absurdly healthy. They didn't have any problems. And now today, we have a totally different story. People who want to feed raw are told they have to follow these terrible rules of how much calcium and phosphorus balance there should be, and there's all these 80, 10, 10 things, and you know, it's all wrong. It's all wrong because it's so much simple. And it's all based on nutrients. So you've got to have this nutrient and that nutrient and so much. But if you And we don't even do that for our food. We don't even do that for us. We don't. Of course we don't. And we don't do it for our kids either. Uh, I mean, I've seen some terrible, some some kids raised pretty badly or children. I don't know what what the politically correct term is these days, but I'm maybe getting too old to know what's politically correct and what's not. But anyway, we we don't raise our children that way. We we don't raise ourselves that way. And yet for our dogs, we say, oh, I've got to have a spreadsheet. I've got to have a computer program. I've got to know exactly what nutrient is in every meal. Every meal has to be complete and balanced. It's crazy. It is crazy. And on top of that is that I I love that I'm talking to you at this point of my journey because I even went through, I understand, understood a biologically appropriate meal for my dogs that was raw and it had everything that it needed to it. Then I started listening to someone telling me I had to put probiotics or prebiotics on top of the food. And this was the reason, which I did. And then ended up giving all my dogs leaky gut and giving them too much of everything. And that comes back to your argument, which is the food, let food be thy medicine, that everything that you need, if you're feeding a biologically appropriate diet, everything they need is in that diet and you don't have to supplement until, of course, they become maybe senior or geriatric and may need extra support, right? Well, it's a matter of understanding, but it's got to be food. It's got to be food. And it's got to be food that's appropriate for the species. So you don't feed giraffe food to a dog or leopard food 
Well, actually, well, you know, you don't even feed leopard food to a dog. You feed do- what dogs are designed by evolution to eat. And the question is, what are they designed by evolution to eat? And I take, um, when I'm teaching this, people through the evolution of the dog in terms of their nutrition. We go back about 200 million years, and we look at five stages that dogs have gone through. This first one is a pre-mankind stage, and that's that's from about 200 million years ago right up until around about four to five, well, maybe somewhere between 100,000 maybe and 200,000, maybe 300,000 years ago when dogs or the ancestors of our dogs started following the wolves around. And the wolves started following, well, actually it's more the other way, the wolves started following them around and together they would deal or scavenge off each other's hunting exploits. And so we had a group of wolves that started to become more closely associated with human beings. Then we had following that, and, and without going into details now, Following that, we had what I call the living on the dump era. And this is the t- when humans had just stopped being hunter-gatherers and were now letting, living a more settled and farming lifestyle. They would form a lot of waste. And outside each community was a huge mound of waste. And it attracted rodents and there were bones and there were scraps of vegetables and all sorts of things, awful. And it was all putrefying and rotting and decaying. And the wolves becoming dogs now, the same group that had followed them, were now starting to live and breed there. And it all went from there. And that's called what I call the domestication or living on the dump era. Then, then there's the breed development era. And then finally, the modern pet food era. And the modern pet food era has been so short that it has no influence on the dog's genome, except for very minor things. And I'll come back to that if, if, you, if we remember, but the very minor things are things like more amylase in their, produced by their pancreas. And everybody says that's really? a reason to feed, to, to feed processed pet food with lots of carbs. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to point out that in fact it's a reason to not feed, but we'll come, come back to that. But so we have this situation where if we look at what dogs have eaten and put a weight how much in, uh, how much influence we think each period has had. Most most influence was that long two hundred million year period. The second most influential was scavenging on the dump, and that's about it. So what do we find from that? We find our dogs a hunter, a carnivore, a scavenger, an opportunist, so to some degree a vegetarian. And uh, so really what we have here is a an omnivorous carnivore or a carnivorous omnivore. Uh, the um, <laughs> The, the the scientific term is facultative carnivore, but who knows what that means? Goodness gracious. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, if you say he's an omnivorous carnivore or a carnivorous omnivore, so if we, I have this thing called the, uh, I should have, should have a graphic up, but it's called the herbivore-carnivore continuum. One end we have cows, sheep and goats and cattle and all that sort of thing, deer, if you like. On the other end is the cat. In the middle, right, pretty well bang in the middle, we have chooks. Oh, you call them chickens. Australian backyard, we have chooks. Anyway. <laughs> we, <laughs> I didn't know that. There's... I didn't know you called them something different. Oh, chooks. we do. But but uh, but the modern Australian is now becoming very American, so they call them chickens. But in the centre, we've got chickens or chooks, we've got pigs, and we've got humans. They're pretty well omnivores. Moving back towards the um, the cattle and the sheep on this continuum, we have things like rodents, which sit between, and they're kind of granivores to some degree. And then if we move from, so we, we've, we're going from, I'm not sure which left to right, or what's working on your screen, but we're going from that side to this side. So cattle, rodents, pigs, humans, and chickens or chooks. Then we kind of start, up the other end, we've got the cats. Somewhere in the middle, we have the dog. 
cats being the the, uh, carnivore, the ultimate carnivore. The ultimate carnivore, the obligate carnivore. They have to be a carnivore to survive. Mind you, we feed them grain these days, but oh, I wonder why they get sick. Mm, right, no exactly. Idea. Yes. Anyway, so somewhere in between we have the dog. Actually, the dog is closer to the human and the wolf is closer to the cat, but none of them are the same. The dog is less, is more of a scavenger than the wolf, less of a hunter, more coprophagic. What's that? It means it eats more poo. Dog, these dogs love to eat poo. It's one of the first things I noticed very early in my veterinary career. People would ask me about that. It turned out that the ones that were eating the poo were the ones being fed lots of dry dog food. And I realized that the poo at the back end was more nutritious than the dog food that went in at the front end. It was composed of living bodies, bacteria. Those living bodies had created B vitamins and vitamin K, healthy fats, Essential fatty acids, in fact, B vitamins, healthy proteins. Ye gods, how could wow. this be? The poo is so better. So you're saying course- that poop is better than kibble? Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized that, hey, nobody really wants to feed their dog poo. Mind you, if you live on a farm, they're always out there eating poo, cattle, sheep, yes, horses, pigs. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Well, whatever. And they're deriving great benefit from that, in, including their mi- adding to their microbiome. If it's herbivore poo, there's lots of wonderful fiber in that, both soluble and insoluble and all that and, stuff and some, going on. And some fermented vegetables? Uh, th- indeed. Well, uh, and indeed, when, when and this was one of the things that when I first was devising the raw food and working out what we should feed, I realized that the fermenting vegetation in the gut of a herbivore was, particularly if it was things like tripe, which was absolutely stinky and was actually illegal in Australia, Australia to feed to your dog at the time or to, or to really? get hold of, yes, because of, of, of likelihood of containing bacteria and other, and other organisms and so on. The good stuff. So, <laughs> the good stuff, yes, exactly. And and so uh, then I realized we had to feed other things like sauerkraut and or I, I tend to go to the dairy actually. And people say dogs shouldn't eat dairy. Well, I don't know a single wolf out there who obeys the dictate that when they pull down a ruminant calf, they must not ever eat the stomach contents that contains the milk from their mum. Gee. There are yep. no milk police for wolves out there. It's That's a worry, right. isn't okay. it? Before you go into the fermented vegetables <laughs> and I the wasn't important- even going to go into fermented vegetables, but I could. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I would love to because there's so much talk about whether they should have vegetables at all. What is the benefit of having fermented vegetables? I also want to talk about bones. Because, Peep, there's so much fear in giving your dog a bone, and I know you're the bone man, so we're going to talk about that, but we have to take a short break, so we'll come right back after this. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, Research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health. Healing naturally. And we're back with Dr. Ian Billinghurst, and we're talking about 
raw feeding, feeding a biologically appropriate diet and prebiotics and probiotics. And I guess what I want to know more than anything is that if we are feeding them this appropriate diet, that there's very few things that we need to put on top of that appropriate diet. My favorite thing when I'm reading about you is how you're like, I took care of most issues with fixing the diet. Like you truly, food was thy medicine. Absolutely. This actually it astounded me, of course. I couldn't believe it. When, you, when you're first out as a vet, your whole thrust is diagnosis and treatment. And you just want to see disease more than anything. That's what you want to see. I, mean, I trained first as an ag scientist and our whole thrust was preventative medicine. I thought, boring, boring, boring. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life doing that. So into veterinary science, and of course, we want to diagnose and, and treat everything. But then I started, then I realized you know, for a whole variety of reasons that we should be feeding this raw food. And so I started watching it, and things that were sometimes untreatable, badly treated, or responded very poorly, or continually needed increased doses of medication, just quietly disappeared. Things that I, I hadn't even diagnosed People would tell me about those. They start to tell me that they would start. To, they hadn't been going to tell me they had this problem. I don't know why, but anyway. So all these things just started to disappear. Why? Well, it's very simple. Because the terrible disease, which I now call, it's politically correct to feed them processed dog food, right? Yep. Yep. I, I believe so. I believe so. Ask it is. PC stands for poisoned chalice. That's what we're feeding our dogs today, and that's what we're recommending. We, our, this is sad, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this is an indictment on the veterinary profession. I, I'm actually, I've been very kind to the veterinary profession up until now and said, oh, they forgive them, Father, for they know what, not what they do because they were trained this way as youngsters. But they're intelligent adults. Exactly. They're trained in biological science. They understand Darwinian evolution. And yet they continue to push a poison chalice. To me, it makes no sense. I don't understand how I've learned what I've learned in a 10-year period. I can't imagine practicing my first or second year as a vet. I'm not a vet. But if I were and going, this isn't working and this doesn't make any sense. It, we're not supporting the immune system. We're not supporting the gut microbiome, which we all know about. So I can't imagine ignoring that. When a dog comes in with throwing up and has diarrhea, if you're going to a conventional vet, the only thing they know to do is to write a prescription. They don't That's even right. bother telling, or they send you to a science diet, which is not on based on science, their science, not real science. I just got told by somebody, I called it crap and not based on science, and they told me I was wrong, and I had to bite my tongue because that's not where I'm an expertise in. But it is crazy. It's nuts how more complicated it's getting. I do want to talk about veggies because I'm seeing everybody, every company come out with veggie products or including veggies or using them as toppers. And you are with a company called Gussie Guts, which has created a fermented food topper, which is the only thing that you say is what you would put on, correct? And we're getting, and the reason you're saying it is because we're literally getting the nutrients and the prebiotics that they need the way they should have gotten it in the wild. <laughs> well, 
Oh, dear. You've just said a mouthful, Angela. I'm... I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and and <laughs> you promised me a moment ago we're going to talk about bones and we've headed straight into vegetables. But anyway, that's okay. I've forgiven you already. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, because I want to okay. know that I can get – I want to know that I don't have to put a prebiotic or a probiotic on my dog's food if I'm feeding them a biologically appropriate diet. But why would I add gussy guts? What is the benefit of adding this supplement when we're not going to add any others? which I know are fermented vegetables. So I want to know why. So I know it came out complicated, but. <laughs> okay. What do dogs need? This is, this is the thing. Um, we have all sorts of pyramids for humans. Right. And we have. On, we which were all created by, by a food manufacturer or the dairy industry. Correct. And they're upside down basically in many ways. But so that makes them very unbalanced if you think about it. Pyramids. They're upside sort of, down. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. But we're not designed to eat grains, not nor are dogs. Okay. So that's that's the and that's the basis of the human food pyramid. It's actually the basis of the canine food pyramid. It's a vegetable, by the way. Oh, that's interesting. But it's full of carbs and it's high in sugar. Where do vegetables fit in? Well, I have this if I can draw this, can I show that? That's a okay. So at the bottom we might have Let's just put raw meaty bones. So raw meaty bones at the bottom of this pyramid. Okay. Let's then throw in some organ meat. And by organ meat, I mean internal organs, heart, liver, kidney, spleen, whatever. Maybe eyes, brain. Eh. On top of that, vegetable material. Now, remember the dog is a scavenger. Vegetable material. So let's, And then on top of that, what I call poo substitutes. All those... And that's just a shorthand term for, okay, we know that dogs drink out of toilet bowls. Yeah, unpleasant. They lick each other's genitals. They lick their own genitals, each other's mouths, each other's ears. They eat food out of garbage cans. And they eat poo. And they dig berry bones and dig them up. Now, all of these habits are, are fairly unhuman. I say fairly because we do know that the Eskimo, the Inuits in their native land under native conditions would eat reindeer poo as a source of fibre and microbiota. They probably ate walrus and seal something or other as well. Who knows? Wow. Interesting. When I was in Japan coming home one day, we went to a Korean barbecue and ate cow intestine. It was delicious, let me tell you, and all the poo had been cleaned out. I might have right, right. but and, and I had that because it has nothing really to do with what we're talking about. So getting back to <laughs> poo substitutes. So I mentioned earlier that poo is a rich source of – actually, I didn't say the words prebiotics and probiotics, but it is because it's full of both living and dead bacteria. It's, it's prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics which are the things that the, the um, microbiome, the organisms of the microbiome, the prebiotic microbiota produce. And they produce this stuff from food. And it's also parts. It's not living, but it, it can be enzymes. It can be all sorts of things. Vitamins are some examples. And all sorts of things we don't yet know about. So we have these poo substitutes, which are prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics, and other stuff, such as protein, essential fatty acids, and so on. So as I said, almost a complete food. 
This was something I thought, and I mentioned this earlier, was something we couldn't really duplicate. Nobody wants to feed poo to their dogs. When you go to kiss them, it's less than pleasant, and some people <laughs> do a lot of that kissing stuff with their dogs, and that's fair enough. Which only increases my microbiome and makes me even more powerful. Well, so. We now know that both the dog and the canine have a very much a shared microbiome. And we've lived together for a long time, so hardly surprising. Anyway. Right. So anyway, that goes on. So what do we do? So the 10% of, of that last thing was the poo substitutes. Now, I noticed that there are some, in inverted commas, experts putting out there that if we and, – and they're actually afraid of vets, these experts, because they say we don't want to upset the vets so we can tell them that we're only going to feed 10% of these toppers. Yeah, right. So we don't upset the vets because vets will know then that they haven't upset the delicate balance of the oh. processed pet food that you're feeding and therefore earning your vet's great approbation or whatever, whatever you want to earn from your vet for having fed processed pet food. So you can put toppers on, which will do your dog a lot of good. Well, unfortunately, if you say, for example, cut up chunks of carrot and whack it on your dog's food and he eats it, he may derive great satisfaction from the crunch of the carrots. You know, it seems to be mouthfeel is a big thing in food. And there's no question about that. We, If you look on all those uh, human food shows, I was not sure I'd throw in a bit of crunch. And I right. agree, it's lovely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, but why is it so invaluable for our dog apart from the satisfaction to the brain and the crunch? Well, because, and this and this is a legacy of having a degree in agricultural science. Surrounding each plant cell is a cellulose cell wall, impenetrable by the dog's digestive system and in large chunks impenetrable to the microbiome that lives in the dog's, dog's intestines. And I, this was illustrated to me very graphically by a man who bought a, a poo digester at great expense when he, when he was one of those dog shows somewhere. And he put it in his backyard and put all the poo in it and was expecting this lovely stuff to come out. But it rapidly filled up with chunks of vegetables because he was feeding great and vegetables to his dogs. And, of course, they were passing through all of his dogs straight, <coughs> straight through and they were filling it up and he was mortified. Then I pointed out to him, well, you, you are not, what you need to do is put the vegetables through a juicer. Now, when you do that, and it's so simple, and the juicer's best because you separate the pulp from the juice and you can then add the pulp back in. That's a wonderful prebiotic. And the juice, of course, contains all the goodies, polyphenols, the enzymes, all the vitamins, the minerals, the proteins that were in that plant cell and which make a whole cow, for example, therefore very rich in calcium and protein, all those things. It's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, they then become available for your dog. But there's more. The cellulose, the insoluble fibre, as it passes through the large bowel, is attacked by the microbiome, by the bacteria, and they break it down, and they produce short-chain fatty acids. And the short-chain fatty acids then feed the bowel wall, and the bowel wall grows thicker and more blood-filled. And then, because the bacteria are growing in numbers on these short-chain fatty acids, they need to make more protein. Where do they get it from? Well... 
they have a ready source. It's the bowel wall. That thickened bowel wall with lots of blood vessels is carrying nitrogenous wastes. So they pull the nitrogenous wastes out, things like we know, like BU, BUN, blood urea, nitrogen, all that stuff. They pull it out and they turn it into protein, bacterial protein and other things. They have formed virtually a third kidney. And this is the basis, for example, of a lot of health in older dogs by feeding them vegetables because you have created a third kidney in the large bowel. Only a third kidney, not in terms of electrolyte balancing or hormone production, which are other activities of the kidneys, but in terms of eliminating nitrogenous waste from the bloodstream. And, of course, you, as, as dogs that are in severe kidney failure, they have to eat a very high level of these fibres, these good fibres, and have the right microbiome, which, which develops pretty well anyway. And you can add things like Gussie's gut to help this um, to ensure that that gets broken down and that they are able to remove those nitrogenous waste. So the this, this is kind of a very rough sketch of what's going on. So the wonderful thing, when, I, when Rob approached me and told me what he was doing, I said, look, this is absolutely wonderful. This is a wonderful product because it's based on vegetables. Now, he said, oh, well, it'll, it'll replace the vegetables. And I said, no, it won't. No, no. Sorry, Rob. It's not going to do all that. Mm-hmm. Oh. He was bored. No, he wasn't mortified. He just accepted it because he actually put me on as his advisor. I don't know whether that's a, a good move or a bad move, but let's say it's a good move because I think it is actually. And, and yeah. I'll tell you why, because it's allowed me to get a voice out there. I mean, I pretty well said, oh, look, I pretty well – I thought – I've watched all this stuff on the internet, the complications and everything. I thought, this is too much for me. Unless somebody gives me a platform and, – and Rob has. He's given me a platform to speak and to extol the virtues of a product which I believe is very beneficial. Because it's made from some what we call superfoods. They were always superfoods. They didn't suddenly become superfoods, and but they've been handled in a specific way. They've been fermented, then ground up, and so they have prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics, and they're full of these wonderful basic foods for dogs. They're also good for humans too, and so. This is a good topper, yes. This is a good topper. And if you're feeding a wide variety of foods that are based on evolutionary principles and the fact that your dog's a scavenger, a hunter, an omnivore, a carnivore, and all that stuff that I spoke about, all those important words, then you can't go wrong. But the important thing is, in the title of my first book, Give Your Dog a Bone. Why? Am I allowed to talk about bones or, or, or do you want to talk a bit more about vegetables for a minute? No, you, I you, love bones. You're the boss here. So I love veggies. I want to bring up the one thing about the veggies and then, yes, bones. Absolutely, because there's. I feel like they're becoming unpopular again and it drives me crazy. But for the veggies, is it the reason that grinding it up and feeding it to them or fermenting them is how they would they were finding it either rotting uh, scraps or if they were hunting finding it in the animal they were eating so it's kind of evolutionary repeating what they should have found out in the wild i think what you just said is that if we can mimic the evolutionary diet as much as possible then we're going to get closer to what that's they what we're be doing eating. this product absolutely okay, absolutely good. it's it's 
it's not the whole solution. It's part of the solution. And I called it the, the, really the missing link in many ways to what I'd been recommending for a long time. It's kind of like we're putting, yeah, well, you said it, the fermented vegetables from the gut or from rotting bones or, or, or rotting anything that dogs eat and tend to want to eat and poo, all that stuff, it's, it's providing the nutrients that are from there. Now, we've, if you ask somebody who is a nutritional scientist, a veterinary nutritional scientist, they will tell you there's X number of nutrients that a dog needs and nothing else. If you talk How do they to AVCO, <laughs> yes. If you talk to AVCO, the number is even smaller that has to be put in the dog food. Now that's absolute bullshit. Oh, absolutely, abs- absolutely. It is absolute bullshit. AVCO is evil. All right, yes. let's talk about bones. You're the bone man. So, what? safe, raw. Tell me. Okay. Tell me about bones nothing, and why nothing, they're so nothing important. Nothing in this. Nothing in this world is safe. Nothing. Exactly. Nothing. So. Everything is a calculated risk. But what do you risk more if you don't feed bones? What, what, what do bones do? Let's, let's, let's think of this for a minute. Nutrition. They are the basis of the calcium-phosphorus ratio for our dogs. And there's no need to do any measuring of this. There's somebody out there, and I'm not going to mention any names, that, and they're people that I admire, but they believe. And it's based on the fact that it is important with rubbish food like process, like poison chalice because if you get that balance incorrect within this inappropriate food, it can cause problems. If you feed real food with bones in it, you can go from anywhere maybe as low as 10%, but I think that's a bit small, through to 80 or 90% raw meaty bones and you'll produce a perfectly sound pup. Yes, that's wow. true. But why would it be otherwise? How, how on earth do all those animals out in the wild survive without a, a nutritional scientist to say, stop eating those bones. You've just eaten 13%, 13.6% more bone than you were allowed today. Oh, you gods. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> when I first learned nutritional science as an ag scientist, I looked at all these numbers and I said, this. And, they, and then they wanted us to go out and talk to people uh, about food and, and nutrition and everything. And in, in those terms, and I thought, and I knew I had to write a book about this because I had to stop. I had to stop talking about it, so I knew I had to write a book, so I'd stop talking about it. And, it didn't, didn't that, <laughs> and I so love that took- that book is still <laughs> is still the same book that we can use today. Like, yeah, you haven't changed I, what your message no, is. No, the message. Uh, oh, you can changed. add to it, but nothing that you're. No, never mind. Don't do that. Right? <laughs> no, no, it's 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 the same. But I looked at that and I thought, there's got to be a better way to preach nutrition, I said, you have to make it fun. You have to make it interesting. So somehow we did that with Give Your Dog a Bone. And it does need updating because I need to take into account mostly things like AVCO and the complication that's going on and a bit of update on on some of the way we look at supplements, particularly fatty acids, which I did to a large degree in the bath diet. But anyway, but but basically the message is the same because things don't change. And w- another thing I point out to people is because we know something, everybody jumps on the latest bit of research and then we, we skew off in that direction. I said, all that's done is forget prove about what we were the already, others. Well, well, we're already doing what we we're already doing that. It's just shown scientifically that what we were doing was correct. It doesn't mean we need to change anything. We just need to feed that balanced whole food diet. 
And when I go to get, I make my own dog food now. You know, I, I made dog food commercially for about 15 years or we had a company make it under my direction and it was, and it's still out there and it's doing brilliantly. We got rid of it basically so I could, I don't know, stop working so hard, I think. Cause it, yeah, it I was hear you. It was a nasty cutthroat business, dog food business. Oh, unbelievably so. I every time I see a new brand, every time I see a new brand, I'm like, why would you choose dog food? <laughs> yeah. So I got out of that. You mentioned your book. Tell our listeners where they can find you, where your website is, because I know we can get your books from your website also, correct? You can. And uh, it's gussiesgut.com as, as far as the fermented vegetables. And they can get samples from there. And it's absolutely brilliant. The awesome. only person who doesn't have a sample is Dr. Ian Billinghurst. Because in Australia, <laughs> we have this customs mob that- uh, I know. I can't, even, I can't even send you hemp or mushrooms. I hate it. No, that, that's right. <laughs> so, so Gussie Gut and your website's and Dr. Ian Billinghurst. Billinghurst.com. Oh. Very, very complicated. I know. I love it. I love it. It's uh, nice and simple, just uh, yes. like your advice on eating food. Just, just Absurdly like simple. <laughs> really good. I remember someone giving me that advice one time. They said, keep it simple, stupid. And I was like, that's it. All right. Got it. I'm overcomplicating everything. <laughs> Up on my very first surgery walls, we, we had, um, there are no rules. In, well, there's only one rule in life. There are no rules. All right. <laughs> That's, that's it. I've or they're made talking. to be broken. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Ian. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening from. This is the best way to help pet parents like you find these episodes and get access to all our content. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Natural Dog and at AngelaArtolino.com. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at MycoDog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi.